I read this week about uh, a man by the name of Neil who lived in a very small town. And most people in that town thought Neil was rather simple. And so they would play a joke on him. Uh, they would approach him with um, a nickel and a dime, and they would offer him one or the other. Now, since the nickel is bigger, Neil always took the nickel. And there was a man who watched this and who got quite upset about it uh, after a period of time. And so finally he went to Neil and he said, Neil, these people are just trying to fool you. He said, yes, the nickel is bigger, but the dime is worth twice as much. And so he said, take the dime. Neil whispered back, I know the dime is worth more. But he said, if I take the dime, these people won't give me any money anymore. <laughs> Sometimes the th- people we think are foolish turn out to be wise, don't they? And the people we think are wise turn out to be foolish. This man on the screen, who is in the blue, is a very, very smart man. He's a world-famous geneticist and a Harvard graduate. He is a brilliant man. But he is now serving 14 years in prison for a very, very horrible crime. And at a news conference, his lawyer said this, nothing about having an IQ of 176 means you have good judgment. And that's true. We assume if we're smart, we're automatically wise. But the Bible says that is just not always true. What is true wisdom? How do we know it when we see it? Well, take your Bibles and turn to James 3 and verse 13. If there is ever a place where the Bible says in one verse, this is what wisdom is, and this is how you know you're wise, it is James 3.13. And look what James says. Who is wise and understanding among you? That's the question. Notice his answer. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. There it is. This is how we know whether we are wise and understanding or not. Now this morning we are continuing in our series in the book of James. And today James wants to share with us a message that I've entitled The Way of Wisdom. The Way of Wisdom. And what he's going to do for us as we finish out chapter 3, and we will just get started today, is he's going to ask three questions. What is wisdom? How can you tell a fool? And how can you tell a wise person? Now, today, we're going to look at questions one and two. And then because question three 
is uh, so wonderful in detail. We will look at that next week. But would you take a moment with me and let's bow together and ask the Lord to teach our hearts. Father, uh, thank you today for uh, the teaching of your word. And Lord, we confess to you that we grow old too soon and we grow wise too late. And we know that we need your instruction to counter the foolish habits of our hearts. Lord, some of us know the more knowledge we have gained, the less wise we have used that knowledge. And it is so critical in all of our relationships, whether it's our marriages or, or our families or here in our church or at work or in our neighborhoods. You want us to be known as people who are wise. And so help us, Lord, today that we might reflect to you and to all around us what it truly means to walk with Jesus in the way of wisdom. We'll thank you and praise you for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, as we look at this opening question, what is wisdom? James says to us, wisdom has two qualities. First of all, he tells us that wisdom is how you behave. He, he says in this verse 13, let him show by his good conduct his deeds. Now the word show there is a very picturesque word. It means to make known the character of something by observable means. One Bible teacher has said, true wisdom results not so much in what one thinks or what one says as in what one does. Many of us have heard over the years this very helpful statement. Wisdom is not what you know, but wisdom is what you do with what you know. And James would say that is exactly right. It has to do with good conduct in your deeds. I love this statement that uh, was made by an anonymous person. I think it's right on target. A smart person knows what to say. A wise person knows whether to say it or not. There's a big difference, isn't there? We might also say this. A wise person knows how to say it. And a wise person knows when to say it. Now we begin to understand why it is that James follows his teaching on the tongue with teaching on wisdom. This uncontrollable, powerful, destructive little muscle in our mouth can only be brought under control if we use wisdom. So wisdom, says James, is how we behave. Here's the second quality. Wisdom is how you relate. Wisdom is how you relate. Did you notice the one feature of our behavior that James points out in verse 13 is what he calls the meekness of wisdom. Some of our translations say the gentleness of wisdom. Now all of us know that meekness is how you carry yourself in relationship to others. Meekness is a relational word. 
So follow what James is saying then. This wisdom has to do with how we handle ourselves in relationships with others. And what James is saying to us is a wise person relates to other people meekly. Meekly. Now, meekness gets a bad rap, doesn't it? Much of the time when we think of a meek person, we have negative images about that person. Uh, For much of the time, we think uh, meekness is sort of a joke. Uh, We think a person who is meek is wimpy. They're easily pushed around. They have no backbone. And when we think of meekness, we think that's the last kind of person that I want to be. Leadership is all about being strong and, and, and this powerful person. Do you know in the first five books of the Old Testament... The only person who is ever described as being meek is Moses. Did you know that? In fact, we we need to see this this morning. Turn back to the third book of the Old Testament, Numbers, and look with me at chapter 12, and notice what the Bible says about this great leader, I think all of us would say the greatest of the Old Testament leaders, Moses. Look at Numbers 12 and verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. How many of us think Moses was a wimp? I didn't think so. But he was the meekest man on the face of the earth. Then turn with me to um, Matthew chapter 11. And this is an amazing thing. The only time that I'm aware of that Jesus described his human personality is here in Matthew 11. And just from a human standpoint, as Jesus described his personality, notice what he said about himself in verse 29. By the way, the Apostle Paul repeats this in 2 Corinthians 10.1 about Jesus. Look what Jesus said. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek or gentle and lowly, in heart. So look at this. The greatest leader in the Old Testament, Moses, was meek. And the greatest person of all time, Jesus, was meek. You know, to get an idea of what meekness is, um, it was used of tamed animals. It was also used of soothing medicine. This week I've needed a lot of soothing medicine. You can tell that. It was also used of a mild word, or it was used of a gentle summer breeze. Last weekend, I was at Lake Ellen Bible Camp, and I was talking to the wrangler, Chris Ann, and I said to her, what kind of horses do you have here at the camp? And she said, we have quarter horses. And I said, well, what do they weigh? And she said, well, they weigh from an average of about 800 to 1,300 pounds. 
Uh, she said uh, an average weight of our horses would be about a thousand pounds. They are powerful, powerful animals. But tame horses, as powerful as they are, are mild and gentle towards people. A little girl can walk up to a tame horse and rub that horse's nose, and that horse that once may have been a wild stallion will not even snort as that little girl pets that horse's nose so tame as has that horse become. So here's what we must understand. A meek person can be tough as nails, but they will be mild in their dealings with other people. That's what meekness is. In some languages, they render meekness this way, not being harsh with people. In other languages, uh, meekness is rendered this way, always speaking softly or not raising one's voice. So the meek person, in the face of provocation and conflict, is the person who's able to control their emotions and deal with other people with respect and courtesy. Let me give to you this morning an excellent description of what meekness involves. Remember what Jesus said in one of the great Beatitudes, Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. And notice what it's involved. It does not refer to cowardice or weakness. Meekness is the opposite of self-awareness because a meek person is not occupied with self at all. Meekness is a willingness to take wrong patiently. And meekness is gentleness in dealing with others. That is a great way to understand what true wisdom is all about. Do you remember the conclusions that we drew about how to transform our tongues? You remember James gives us this powerful, powerful uh, description of the power of the tongue and how no man can tame it. And then we looked at what does the Bible say about how we transform the tongue. And remember the three things the Bible says. A clean tongue can only come from a cleansed heart, and that has to come from the salvation that only Jesus can give. A careful tongue can only come from a prayerful heart. We must ask the Lord to let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in His sight. And then remember we saw in this verse, a helpful tongue can only come from a humble heart. Now all of us see, don't we, where meekness comes from. It can only come from Jesus. And it can only come from submission to Him as we walk this journey as His beloved children. So James answers this question. And now he says, understanding what true wisdom is, How can you tell a fool? How can you tell a fool? And I love these verses because in verses 14 to 16, James lays it out for us very, very carefully. He says there are two characteristics of foolishness. Those two characteristics come from three sources. 
And they will always lead to two very, very detrimental results. Let me ask us this morning, do any of us see ourselves in what James is going to say? Can any of us look back and say, oh yeah, that's the way I used to be. But Jesus Christ has changed my life. Let's get very practical here for a moment with the apostle of practical Christianity and let's dig down and let's see if any of us reflect this kind of foolishness. Look at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Did you notice this first expression of foolishness is bitter jealousy? It could be translated harsh zeal, harsh zeal. Uh, the term here for jealousy comes from the Greek word zealos, from which we get the word zealots. Now you remember in the first century there was a, a, a party of the Jews called the Zealots. Jesus had a disciple, Simon, who had been a former Zealot. And the Zealots were the Jewish party who felt the Roman occupation was illegal and therefore you ought to use violence to overthrow the government. You know what some Zealots would do? During Passover, when there were huge crowds, uh, they would hide a dagger in their cloak. And they would walk into the crowds and they would murder uh, a Roman and then quickly move away so they couldn't be captured. That was the party of the zealots. Now bring that word to the word jealousy here, or the word zeal, and you can see that the writer here, James, is using it negatively. He's using it of one who is jealously ambitious to attain whatever they want, or to promote their viewpoint. You add to it this word bitter, or this word harsh, and here's what it refers to. It is a person with a contentious spirit. A person who has a contentious spirit. They are so convinced that they are right, that they will argue and they will quarrel at the drop of a hat. They have a contentious spirit. Now notice added to this, James describes this foolish person as somebody who has selfish ambition. That is a word that means rivalry. Very interesting, outside of the New Testament, this word was used only one time. It was used by Aristotle, and he used it of a self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. By the way, I wonder what Aristotle would think about our political system today, huh? There was a native from Greece who's now with the Lord in heaven. His name was Spiros Zodiades. He was a native Greek speaker. And he became a believer and he had a lot of helpful comments 
about Greek words. Listen to what he said about this phrase, selfish ambition, that means rivalry. Listen to what he says. It refers to the politician who is merely interested in winning the election, thus attaining his purpose. During the political race, this politician has really brought out everything that he could to convey a bad impression in the minds of others about his rival. He seeks to push himself forward by keeping others down in the esteem of others. You know what we could say about this person? We could say it is politicking to win others to your side. So determined is this push person to push their point of view or their cause that they will seek to win others to their side and in doing so, they will spread what may be unnecessary, what might be unkind, or even untrue to gain followers. Now look at that for a moment. Does that describe you today? Me? Do I have a contentious spirit? Am I so convinced of my own viewpoint, my own cause, that I will do whatever is necessary to get others on my side so that I may win? What James is saying is that is the opposite of meekness. Now, if that's the opposite of meekness, it doesn't come from Jesus, it doesn't come from the Word of God, where does it come from? Well, look at verse 15 and notice the sources of this wisdom. By the way, did you notice how he ends verse 14? Do not boast and be false to the truth. If this is what we are like, don't claim how wise we are. Don't deny reality. If we claim that we are wise, but we are not characterized by meekness, James says we are being false to the truth. Where does this come from? Well, look at verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. You know what those three things are? Earthly, that's the world. Natural, that's the flesh. Demonic, that's the devil. You know what these are? The three enemies of the Christian. Rarely do you find the three enemies of the Christian in one single verse. Listen to what James is saying. Whoever has harsh zeal for their viewpoint and goes around politicking to get others on their side is not listening to heaven. Instead, they're listening to the unsaved world, their own sinful flesh, And the devil himself. That's where this comes from. To help me to understand this, I've put this together in a little equation. There's the three sources, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But let's look together at this little equation Because I think it helps us so very, very much. Not only to see this in our own lives, but to be able to recognize it in others. Here it is. 
James is saying strong feelings plus harsh zeal plus politicking is hell's wisdom. Strong feelings plus harsh zeal plus politicking, James says, is coming right from the pit of hell. And whenever we see this in our lives, or see it in somebody else's life, we can say immediately, this is a lack of meekness. It's a lack of wisdom. I learned something a while back from uh, Marquette police officer Craig Marker. Uh, By the way, it was interesting. I was planning to quote him this week, and and lo and behold, I saw him over here at the four-way stop, and we waved at each other. And I thought, wasn't that interesting? Uh, Several years ago, I I was having a conversation with Officer Marker. You know what he said to me? He said, most people do not want to fight. He said, most people try to avoid fights. And I was kind of surprised to hear that because I know that police officers have to deal with a lot of contentious people. And I was surprised to hear Officer Marker say that. I assumed over many, many years he learned that from experience about the average person. And I thought about that with this passage. If someone likes to fight, mix it up, And be contentious, they've got a serious, serious problem. It may be a a lack of salvation. It may be a lack of submission to the Lord. It is definitely a lack of meekness. When I was growing up as a boy, we had two brothers in our neighborhood... They were the Alexander boys, David and Mark. And David loved to fight. He had the quickest fists that I have ever seen. His hands were as quick as lightning. I saw him one time take on a a friend of mine who was bigger and stronger than him. And my friend was no match for the lightning hands of David Alexander. And sadly, David liked to push his brother Mark into fights. And, and Mark was certainly not like his brother David. He did not have that kind of dexterity or that kind of skill. Uh, one night I was on my way home, and uh, as I was walking home, uh, down on the street corner, under the streetlight, was David and Mark. And David yelled out to me, he said, Hey, Brian. Would you like to fight my brother? And I said, sure. I'm going to be a pastor. It'll be good practice. (laughs) No, no, you know, I did not. I did not say that. I just yelled back, no, and I went on home. I had no desire to fight Mark. In fact, I felt bad for Mark. 
You know what? I've often wondered what happened to the Alexander boys. I wonder how has life turned out for David and Mark? You know what James says? How life turns out for people like what he's describing? Look at the results. Look at the two results of foolishness. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Look at the results that will happen. Please mark this down. If this is describing us, this is what our marriage will be like. If this is describing the way we relate, this is what our family will be like. If this is how we are, this is the way our church will be like. Notice the first thing. Notice the first thing. He says there will be disorder. You know what that means? Confusion. It means constant unrest between people. Wherever there is this constant unrest, you will see a a person who is foolish, who lacks meekness, who has these opposite qualities. And then notice secondly, James says there will be every evil practice. Think about what flows out of this. Backbiting, accusation, rudeness, manipulation, arguing, lashing out, striking back. Every evil practice will flow out of this kind of life. And so James says to us so very, very carefully and so helpfully, Listen, understand, wisdom is all about meekness. It's all about how you behave. It's it's particularly about how you relate to others. And then if we're looking for, do I have this meekness or am I foolish? Well, here's what it's all about. A, A person with a contentious spirit who is seeking to get others on their side to win their cause. That's coming from the world, the flesh. It's right out of hell. And it will lead to constant unrest. And every kind of evil. Many of you know that Taylor University is a Christian college in Indiana. We have a number of graduates from Taylor here in our church. And years ago, Taylor was welcoming an African student to come and study at their school. Now, this was before it was common to have international students. You go to Northern, and there's lots of international students. But this was before it was uh, uncommon. It was uncommon in those days. And so this African student by the name of Sam was coming to Taylor to study, and they were all excited about it. So the president met Sam, gave him a tour of the campus, all of the dormitories, and then when they were finished with the survey of all the dormitories... He said to Sam, Sam, where would you like to live? Sam replied, if you have a room that nobody wants, 
Give that room to me. The president turned away and began to cry. In all of his years of welcoming thousands of students, not one had ever made that request. And Sam, the African student coming to America, understood what meekness is all about. This morning, as I have thought about all of this, and next Sunday, Lord willing, we will look at question three. How can you tell a wise person? I've thought to myself, it might be helpful for all of us to apply this to the various areas of our life. And it might be helpful for us just to review together in our own thinking what is essential if we want to have the right impact on those around us. And so this morning, I would like us just to affirm together these five applications that this might get deep down in our own consciousness. And that we might cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, let me show by my good conduct, my works in the meekness of wisdom. Would you read these together with me? Number one, join me. If we want our kids to love our Jesus, they must see in our dealings the meekness of wisdom. Two. If we want our spouse to listen to our words, we must treat him or her in the meekness of wisdom. Number three, if we want to win the confidence of our parents, they must see in us the meekness of wisdom. Number four, if we want our church to respect our leadership, we must lead in the meekness of wisdom. And finally, number five, if we want unsaved friends to know our Savior, we must show them the meekness of wisdom. Let's bow together, shall we? And ask the Lord to drive this deep into our lives. Father, thank you today for this clear and unambiguous teaching of Your Word. And thank You, Lord, that as we continue and and look at the last two verses, we're going to see a sevenfold description of what meekness really is all about. Seven being the perfect number. James is going to give us the perfect description. And we confess to you, Lord, today that in our own hearts, we are unlike this. We pray that you would forgive us for the times in which we have been so committed to our own opinion, 
that we have been harsh in our dealings with others. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for the times in which we have sought to gain a following by underhanded or dubious means. And Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for the many times in which the constant unrest that has been associated perhaps with our relationships has been due to us and our self-promotion and our uncontrolled tongue and our lack of walking with Jesus. And we just pray that you would continue from your word to show us a different way. Lord, if Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth and And we only think of one time when he lost his cool and struck the rock a second time when he was supposed to speak to it. So much of the time he was so patient with those who abused him. We think of Jesus who said about himself, I'm meek, I'm lowly. And when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he was abused, he uttered no threats but he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges rightly. And Lord, it's our goal as Christians to be like him. It's our goal to reflect his nature to those around us. Lord, we know what the world is like, and the world expects a certain thing, but we know that you send us into the world to be so different. And so I pray, Lord, today, that you would call us after the like life of, of wisdom and meekness. Help us to be strong. Help us to be sturdy. But may we always, Lord, be respectful and courteous and use that power for the benefit of those around us. We love you, Lord, today. Thank you that you are making us more like yourself. For any who feel today a, a certain sense of of guilt and shame. We thank you for your gracious and loving forgiveness. And we thank you that uh, each new day can be a better day, can be a, a different day, as we follow the leading of your blessed Spirit. So make us like yourself, and we'll praise you and thank you. For Jesus' wonderful sake we pray. Amen.